1 Timothy. Anyway, just being a wise guy. Um, this is the second letter Paul writes to Timothy about six years, five or six years after he writes 1 Timothy. And guess what? Timothy is still pastoring a church in Ephesus where there's all kinds of problems, false teachers, um, some struggles for leadership, and Timothy is still timid and needing encouragement to be strong and keep on keeping on, if you will. Um, so uh, Paul is on death row. He's been rearrested in Rome. He's in a dungeon type thing, a hole in the ground, basically. And he's going to be executed very soon. He talks about it in chapter four. And yet he's just so full of encouragement for Timothy. It's a wonderful thing. Um, so we're going to talk about being ashamed of the gospel and why someone might be ashamed when they shouldn't be. We're going to talk about being willing to suffer because of Christ. And that Timothy's told and we're told to consider how great a savior we have and that we should never be ashamed of the gospel. Um, then we're going to hear analogies about being a soldier and an athlete and a hardworking farmer and how those all tie into being a Christian. Um, so without any uh, further ado, uh, those of you that are here, so I know you're awake, say amen. Amen. Ooh, that's a good one. And those of you online, there's only six of you that are brave enough to have your picture up uh, that I can see anyway. Uh, say amen, and I see you're smiling. Beautiful. Um, or wave. Okay, we left off right around verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, I'll pick it up in verse 6. Uh, Paul's encouraging Timothy to fan the flame, feed the fire, verse Six of Second Timothy one. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And there were other hands that were laid on him as well. He's sort of letting the fire go out. If you've ever had a fire in the fireplace, you can't just light it and leave it. You got to keep feeding the fire. So we talked last week about feeding the flame, the fire that God put in us of the gospel, the Holy Spirit. Oh. So that sounds just like my phone, but it's not my phone. Um, anyway, that's whenever you hear that sound, it's, I finally got something right. And God wants us to know that. That's why it happens so rarely, right? Anyway, sorry. Um, fan that flame. Uh, you can silence your phones if you want, by the way. Those of you at home, you don't need to do that. Um, uh, fanning the flame by reading the word, by praying, by obedience, by fellowshipping with other believers. There's so many other ways we can fan the flame that God has given us. Um, and look at the second half of that verse. The spirit of God does not make us timid. It hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but gives us power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. We talked about all that last week. Um, um, that's, yeah, that's actually verse seven. Um, so, uh, yeah, we covered most of verse seven last week. What I didn't tell you is that most scholars, and you wouldn't know this reading it, most scholars think in verse seven, believe it or not, he's talking about, he's referring to anyway, the giving of the law when Moses got the law from God. Do you remember that? It was done. The Old Testament, the law of God, the Ten Commandments were given with tremendous fear. 
everyone feared. Moses did fear exceedingly, the Old Testament says. It's fire and smoke, and they, they don't even want to come near the people to the mountain. Do you remember? Because God is the God of law in the Old Testament. It's the same God now, but he's the law of the God of grace in the New Testament. He's giving the Ten Commandments. It's extremely scary. The New Testament is ushered in with Jesus Christ, who is humble and meek and loving and kind. Even when the Holy Spirit comes and the church is born in Acts chapter 2, you remember? There's no, I mean, there's tiny little tongues of, of fire. Do you remember that? And they, everybody can speak in their, yeah, in, their, in different languages. And it's very much inviting to the outside world. It's the, almost the opposite. So a lot of scholars think he's talking about, um, it's not a spirit of fear like the Old Testament. It's a spirit of love and uh, power and sound mind, self-discipline in the new. Um, let me see. I'm just looking at the rest of the notes. Um, it's interesting that Jesus has the power, right? In John 13, remember we did John a couple books ago. John 13, 1 through 11 is the story of Jesus and um, with his disciples on the night before he's going to be crucified. Um, and it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, all power, all authority. Wow. You know what he does? He takes off his outer robe, puts on a towel, and he washes the disciples' feet. Just the opposite of what you would think somebody would do when they've been given all that kind of power. That's the gentleness of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. Fear will tie you up and, and keep you from being used. Confidence in God will allow you to be used and step out in faith. Look at verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, rather join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Okay, so you got to ask, well, why would anybody be ashamed? Okay, in our culture, you don't see this as much as you do in others, but there are places in the world where if you're caught with a Bible, you can get thrown in jail or get your head cut off. Many Muslim countries, you cannot preach the gospel. Um, in our country, it's more ridicule, not allowed to be taught in most uh, public schools. It used to be the gospel. Um, most of the name colleges were Christian institutions. Um, I believe both Harvard and Yale, for example. Not anymore. So what's going on? Uh, Christianity centuries later ends up becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire, believe it or not. But at this time, there's been a fire a, a year or two before this in Rome, a big fire. And Nero, the emperor, the Caesar, blamed it on the Christians. They started it. They're revolutionaries. So everybody started to kind of hate and resent Christians, even though the story was fake news. And yes, they had fake news even back then. Don't get me started on that. Um, so um, there were people that were starting to be a little more quiet with their Christianity out in public for fear of being ridiculed or being hated or what, you know, there's just was becoming a whole stigma about it. 
Among the Jews, they, and we're going to talk about why the Jews don't believe in Jesus a little later. It's in my notes if we get there. Uh, the teacher needs to move on. But anyway, um, the Jews um, just did not like the idea of a savior, a Messiah, who was a criminal and was crucified and died a bloody death. Really? That's your guy? Kind of thing. We'll talk about why when we get there uh, later on. But so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That's the gospel. Don't be ashamed of it. In our culture, we can be ashamed of it or a little hesitant to share the gospel for fear that people will ridicule it. Oh, you believe that old book? You know, the Bible's been changed and Christianity has been disproven by evolution. Everybody knows that, right? Wrong. So we cannot be ashamed. And so th th this is the subject he's going to stick with for a while. Some people were ashamed of, we're going to read about this, Paul, who was their guy, and now he's in prison. So a fear of guilt by association made some people say, no, yeah, I don't even know Paul. No, I'm not a Christian. Or they would just keep silent about their Christianity for fear that they might be arrested and thrown in there with Paul as well. So we're not to be ashamed, verse 8, of the testimony about our Lord. We're supposed to spread the seeds of the gospel with boldness, aren't we? Or of me, Paul says, his prisoner. That's interesting because he's technically not God's prisoner or Jesus's prisoner. He's Rome's prisoner, right? But he considers that everything that happens to him is God's will. I'm Christ's prisoner. Rome thinks they can hold me and tell me not to do things, and I'm Christ's prisoner. If I'm here, it's for his will and somehow for his glory. And it certainly was. While Paul is under house arrest and in prison, he's writing books of the Bible. Pretty amazing. He's writing 2 Timothy while he's awaiting execution. So don't be ashamed of the gospel or the Lord or of his prisoner. Uh, of me, his prisoner. Rather, second half of verse eight, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In other words, that was what was stopping people from spreading the word and publicly coming out of the closet, so to speak, saying, yes, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus. Our culture tends to ridicule Christianity. Have you noticed it in movies television, the Christian guy, the minister, the priest is always the hypocrite, right? There's so much of that in television and movies. Um, he's saying, be willing to suffer. Now, this is, if you're trying to sell something, this is not a wise tactic, but it's true, right? Buy this product, it will make you suffer, possibly. Oh, forget it right? Listen, because of what the gospel is, he's going to really go to high ground and tell you how great the gospel is. If God, if Christ was willing to suffer for you, shouldn't you be willing to suffer? Do you really think you're going to suffer as much as he did? Yet we're so ashamed sometimes to step out in faith and explain that we're believers. Uh, we're afraid of persecution. We're afraid of ridicule. We're afraid of sometimes in business, don't mention there's, I know someone who is a counselor for people who are so messed up. Some of the people are into witchcraft and, 
having demonic things happen and they're having mental breakdowns. And the person works for a place where she's not allowed, she's a Christian, not allowed to say, you know, what you need is Jesus. Have you ever considered reading? Just read the Psalms, read the Bible. Don't say that. Just like with the schools, with everything, as if it's some four-letter word, some bad thing, the gospel. It's kind of an amazing thing. Um, join me in suffering. He's Paul suffering right now for the gospel by the power of God. That's how we get through everything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, one of my favorite verses. Verse 9, he, now he's going to tell you, Timothy, don't forget how great the gospel is. Once you remember how great it is and remind yourself of it, you'll never be ashamed of it. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's the antidote to every problem on planet Earth. Listen to verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is a verse about grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Boy, this is a, just a verse full of stuff to talk about, isn't it? Look at verse 9 again. First of all, he has saved us. How much involvement did I have in him saving me? According to that, none. He saved us. It's like the person that was drowning in the middle of Bass Lake, and Ken swims out and saves him and drags him to the shore. The guy was surely going to drown, and people are thanking Ken for saving the guy, and the guy says, well, you know, on the way, I was kicking a little to help. It wasn't all Ken. No, yes, it was all Ken. It was all Jesus. He has saved us, and notice that he called us. Many are called, few are chosen. He called us. He chose us in Christ. Ephesians 1 says, before he made the world. That's a mind-blowing thought. He saved us and called us to a holy life. Meaning what? Titus, the book of Titus. Do you know what it's all about? Conduct matters. That's what that book is about. A holy life, meaning it's not just he saved me. It's lordship salvation, where he's your Lord and you are obeying him and sinning less and obeying more. One way to put it. A holy life. Here comes the grace part. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's interesting how many Christian denominations build works into salvation. Um, that we appreciate Jesus dying on the cross, but we earn our salvation by doing good deeds, by abstaining from bad deeds, from sin. Nothing could be further from the truth in the Bible. The Bible teaches that we're saved not because of anything we did. All grace. I know I define this term a lot, but I remember being in Bible studies when I was a new Christian, and they would talk about grace, and I would think, what, what is that? like being graceful, like a ballet dancer. Grace is good things God gives us that we don't deserve, we can't earn, and he doesn't owe them to us. It's absolute grace, a gift. You're having uh, financial problems, and somebody sends you an anonymous check for $1,200. Sound good? Yeah, everybody said, let me give you my address, Joe. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> 
the point is you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's just somebody being kind to you. That's the salvation that we have. We can't possibly earn our way up to God. <clears throat> it's like trying to jump to the moon. Anybody see the eclipse the other night? It was pretty cool. Um, you can, some people can jump higher than others. Basketball players can jump really high. Nobody can jump to the moon. Our sin debt is so immense that if we try to balance that out with our good deeds, it'll never work out. So he saves us and calls us to a holy life. Nothing that we did, it's all his own purpose. Um, John MacArthur in this passage says, you know why he saved you? Because he wanted to. Well, no, I chose Jesus. No, John 15, Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. So that's an amazing part of salvation. People don't realize, I think, a lot that it's all undeserved. The beauty of this doctrine of grace is just this. In Islam and in many other religions, you earn your way up. If that's true in Christianity and my good deeds are what's saving me, then I do have a right to look down my nose, my nose at others who are not saved. But if it's all grace, if it's all a beggar getting free bread from God, then is not all the glory for your salvation and mine, the changed life you have, the assurance you have, the hope, the peace, isn't it all his glory, not yours? He did it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, that song says. Um, okay, his own purpose and grace. So that's grace. And the last part of verse nine, this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's a pretty amazing thing, right? Before you even existed, before your great, 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 great grandfather existed, he already had chosen you, Ephesians 1 says twice, and gave that grace out then. Do I understand this? No, because I didn't exist. I can't wrap my brain around. Of course, he knows everything. He knew me, right? So there's a timelessness of the gospel. Um, remember that God exists outside of time. He created time, therefore he has to exist outside of it and be greater than it, if you will. Um, so no works can earn our salvation. The question comes up though with Christians, well, then why do you Christians do good works? Aren't you trying to earn something from God so he'll owe you? Why do you give money at the church? Why do you volunteer to do this at the church or that at the church or help with the children downstairs and Sunday school or whatever it is you do at the church? Why are you Christians working? Number one, because God commands us to. But number two, the motivation is not so I can earn salvation. If I can just teach another 140 Bible studies, it'll be enough to get me to heaven. I'm almost there now. Forget it. You couldn't teach enough Bible studies. Well, then why do you do it? In gratitude for, in response to the unbelievable gift you've been given. We owe him everything. That's why we do good things. I want to please the one that loved me enough to save me. So um, let's see. <clears throat> this eternal plan of God was hinted at in the Old Testament. Look at verse 10. Well, the sentence begins in verse 9. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That means Christ Jesus existed before the beginning of time as the Logos, second person of the Trinity, Son of God, 
the man Jesus was born 2000 years ago, but the Christ, that spirit being had always existed with God the Father. John 1 1 says that. But it has now, verse 10, been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Why all this doctrine? He's trying to convince Timothy, you're ashamed of this unbelievable gift you've been given. He's sort of opening the package and taking the ribbon off and showing him, look at all you've been given and how much you didn't deserve it. So the eternal plan of God, listen, was hinted at in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. That's Genesis to Malachi, or if you're Italian, Italian, Malachi, if you prefer. Just kidding. Um, but it was hinted at in the Old Testament. There are all kinds of little hints you can put together. About 300 to 320, depends who you talk to, Old Testament prophecies about this Messiah figure. That's what Christ means. Christos in Greek, Mashiach in Hebrew, Messiah. What sort of things are you talking about, Joe? He will um, have his hands and feet pierced. He'll be betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. He will be, uh, all of his disciples will be scattered. He will not have any bones broken, even though he's crucified. Um, so many born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. We could go on and on. All these little hints in the Old Testament. We'll get to why the Jews don't believe later. Um, I, I'm tempted to do it now, but I don't want to do that. Um, so it was revealed through the appearing of a person, our Savior. Keep your finger here and go to John, the Gospel of John. So take a left and go maybe 12, 15 books to the left. Maybe not that many let's say 10. John chapter 1, the gospel of John 1, and look at verse 14. He's talked about this character called the Word. John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's literally tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, whoever this Word is. It's Jesus, of course. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Suddenly, Jesus comes into space and time as the Savior, and God's plan blossoms like a flower, and people can begin to understand it. Now, skip down the same chapter of John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has revealed him or made him known. You want to know about God? Study the life of Jesus the way he interacts with people, the love, the compassion, the patience, the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace. Go back to verse 10. Now it's been revealed. We are blessed. Listen, the best Old Testament saint did not understand God's plan of salvation as much as you and I do, because now we see it through the lens of having seen who Jesus is and what he did. What did he do? He's our savior. He saves us. How so? He destroyed, this is all verse 10, death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You say, well, I, you just mentioned somebody had three deaths in one family. Did Jesus destroy death? For believers, yes. Does death still occur on planet Earth? Yes. For unbelievers, is it the same as it was before? It is. For believers, it is totally different. You, the second you are declared deceased, dead, you will be more alive than you ever were in your world 
worldly existence. However many years we get more alive, your body will die. Your soul and spirit, the immaterial part of you will go instantly absent from the body. Paul says present with the Lord. You will go from this existence, probably weak in pain, maybe diseased and sick. Most people don't lie, die totally healthy, right? Everyone dies of their last disease or injury, pretty much no exceptions, right? So from that, you go into the presence of God forever. It'll be so much better than you imagine. You'll just, you won't be able to wipe the smile off your face. Trust me. Some of you can't wipe it off now. You're laughing at me. Um, <clears throat> he destroyed death. Death has no sting. Why is there death? What's wrong with God? Why did he make this world with all this pain and sickness and death? Nothing's wrong with God. There's something wrong with man. God made the world perfect. Had Adam and Eve never sinned, they would have never died. They would have never got sick. They would have never been injured. We would have had a perfect world, which is why I'm going to yell at them when I get to heaven. Just kidding. As a result of Adam and Eve's sin, there's now sickness, pain, disease, injury, death. Paul spells it out in Romans where he says the wages of sin. Remember we talked about earning something? When you sin, you do earn something. Death. The wages of sin is death. Wages versus what the rest of that verse say in John, uh, Romans 6. But the free gift of God, grace, is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Talk about it. What an offer. Remember in the Godfather movie or the book, if you read the book, there was, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Remember that? This is an offer you can't refuse. Your guilt, your sin, every ugly thing you ever thought, said, or did, Christ takes it on the cross and exchanges it for his gold, his beauty, his salvation, his eternal life. It's an amazing, amazing offer. So it's now been revealed because of Jesus who destroyed death. How so? He died in our place. There had to be a sacrifice for sin. One of the hints in the Old Testament is by the shedding of blood, there's no, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin or forgiveness. So they would sacrifice a lamb for the family, but you come back next year because you sinned again. The Ken's family or Jim's family or Jeff's or Joe's family, we're back again with another lamb, another sacrifice, a covering for sin. Jesus Christ provides the payment for sin because he's the blemishless, perfect, sinless lamb of God who dies on that cross for you. Somebody said to him, how much do you love? Fill in your name here. And he said this much and then stretched his arms out and they nailed him to a cross. That's the greatest act of love in the history of mankind that a man, fully God, sinless, would die in my place and yours. I owe him everything. So do you. So he destroys death by dying in our place. For Christians now, death is a glorious graduation. In a way, something to look forward to. I'm not like, I don't want to die tomorrow morning or anything, but if it happens, it's a win-win, right? It's glorious. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Destroyed death, but he did something else, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Remember that if the 
cross, if that death on the cross was the payment for sin, the resurrection of Jesus, listen, was the receipt, was God saying truly sinless. How do you know that? Because the wages of sin is death. If Jesus even had one sin on that soul of his that was his own, he wouldn't have risen out of that grave. Satan would go, he's mine. Because remember, he sinned October 3rd, you know, 13 AD or whenever. He never sinned. So that's the receipt. The fact that he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven is the receipt. Destroying death brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Remember also, Jesus was, listen, resurrected. You mean like Lazarus? No. Different. Lazarus died again. He was resuscitated, four days dead in the grave. Can you imagine poor Lazarus? Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. You have to do the British accent when you do Jesus. And if I was Lazarus, I would have went, no, right? I'm in heaven. I got to come back in this body. I'm all wrapped up in bandages. But Lazarus eventually died again. So did the son of the widow of Nain. Everybody that Jesus resuscitated died again. Not so for you. Not only will you never die again, you'll never die. It may look like you die. You're going to be gloriously ascending to heaven while people are shedding tears. Um, okay, let's keep rolling, shall we? Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, good. You guys on Zoom awake? Okay. Uh, we ought to have a little snore cam, you know, that makes your screen light up or something if you're asleep. Um, mm -hmm. Verse 11, and of this gospel, I was appointed, chosen, as you were, a herald and an apostle and teacher. A herald is an announcer. He said, I was appointed, chosen by God, go announce the gospel, go tell others. How does that turn out for Paul? He ends up being killed doing it, but he does it anyway. Because of his service, though, churches were planted all over that part of the world. An amazing thing. So he's been appointed, chosen by God to be a announcer or a herald, verse 11, and an apostle. That means a sent one, one who is sent to spread the word, had to have seen the risen Christ, we said, to be in that office of apostle. Anyone can be an announcer. Where you work, where you live, with your family, with your neighbors, you're supposed to be an announcer, and so am I, to announce the gospel. We announce it by living a Christian life and blessing others and giving God the glory, but there's a time when you use, ready, words, right? Um, Part of the whole idea of not being ashamed is one of the reasons, here's the other reason, why the, gospel, why the Bible says, Romans says it, that we are to confess with our mouth. I believe, I just don't want to tell anybody something wrong there. You ought to want to tell everybody, right? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You'll be saved. That's in Romans. Don't ask me where. Let's keep rolling a herald, and an apostle, and a teacher. Possibly the greatest teacher that ever lived, Paul was. An amazing teacher, orator. Um, and so those that heard his teaching taught others, and it spread. Those that heard 
you know, your pastor teach are now teaching in other classes. I heard people teach as I was maturing in the faith. I'm extremely mature now. And now here I am teaching the most unlikely person to be teaching this class. Um, so he was appointed and chosen as a teacher, an apostle, and a herald. Verse 12, isn't that great? No, Paul says, and I'm kidding, of course it is. But in verse 12, he says, that's why I'm suffering here. That's why I'm in prison. I could go free tomorrow if I just tell them I'll never preach the gospel again. It's not true. I didn't see Jesus. Leave me alone. No, that's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What's going on here? He's admitting he's suffering in the flesh. He knows he's going to be killed pretty soon. But this is no cause for shame, right? He's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. The Jew first and also the Greek, it says elsewhere. But here he says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Listen, doctrine is important. L learning what the Christian doctrines are, who Jesus was, what he did, who mankind is, and why we need a savior, right? why we're separated from God. The, the doctrine of heaven, the doctrine of the second coming, doctrine's important. But I want you to notice what's more important. What does Paul say? I know because I know a bunch of doctrine. No, I know a person. He says, I know whom I have believed. He's saying, I know Jesus maybe better than I know any human being. I know him so well how sure his promises are that I am convinced, end of verse 12, he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. You say, okay, he's going to guard something. It's almost like the picture of you going to a bank with something valuable, money or um, your grandfather's watch that's worth a lot of money or something gold, and you put it in a safe deposit box. You're trusting the bank to guard, maybe not wisely, but you're trusting the bank to guard what you've given them that's extremely value, valuable. What did Paul give to Jesus? Answer, his whole life. He gave up everything. Paul was a very well-known, renowned teacher, okay? A Pharisee, a Jewish leader who had a position within Judaism and gave it all up. They all shunned him once he received Christ. He <clears throat> gave up everything to the point of making one purpose his whole life, which is, I'm just going to spread the gospel no matter what happens. You read in other books of the Bible that he wrote about him being shipwrecked, stoned, imprisoned, beaten, whipped. Remember, there's that whole list, and he's almost proud of those things. I'm not ashamed. Go ahead, whip me again. Beat me up. Do whatever you want. I know whom I have believed. I'm so sure Jesus has got this, that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him his whole life, every bit of money he ever had, he gave up everything. It's a pretty amazing thing. In poker, you call this, I'm all in. Have you ever heard that term? I'm not advocating gambling. But in poker, if you have a tremendously good hand, you can go all in, which means all the money I have here, I'm betting it all on this one hand. Paul was all in for Jesus. 
not holding anything back. He says, I'm confident that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. You say, what's that day? Most scholars think it's the judgment day, right? Until the race is over. It can be until judgment day Christ returns or until I die. It could be that as well. Either one, he says, I'm, I'm not even wondering, can he really, I, I'm confident he can guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Um, you know, he says earlier in that verse, I know whom I have believed. Do you know what the world says? Know yourself. I think the more I know myself, the less I like myself. The Bible says, know Jesus. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker and, and um, signs that, uh, that have been made? You can put it on your wall. And it sounds funny, but you got to listen. No Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. Have you ever seen that? K-N-O-W, Jesus. Know Jesus. Really know him in a relationship. Then you will K-N-O-W, know peace. The second line is spelled differently. N-O Jesus, know Jesus in someone's life no peace. You heard me pray for people that are addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, atheists, marriages breaking up, and the unbelievers. No Jesus, N-O Jesus, no peace. Impossible. Imagine for a second you're an atheist, and you're near death, or someone you loved died. What hope is there? We're all going to rot in the ground? This is it, this life. There's so much sadness and pain on earth because of sin. We look forward to a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells, dwells righteousness. I know whom I believed. I, I'm convinced he can guard what I've entrusted to him all the way. So Timothy, verse three, considering how great that gospel is, undeserved, death is handled, there's immortality, God is, can be trusted to Guard what you've entrusted to him. Verse 13, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Translation, he said it before, keep on keeping on. In light of everything, what you heard from me, that gospel I was preaching, keep on, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. You know what that verse says? Don't preach your opinion. I try to tell you when I'm telling you, well, scholars disagree here. I'm going to tell you what I think. I don't do it very often, if you notice. I try to tell you what I believe the Bible is actually saying based on the Greek and the Hebrew and the scholars that I'm reading. And I'm confident I'm getting some things wrong and I'm going to hear about it in heaven, but I'm doing the best I can. My point is stay away from somebody that's always telling you things that seem interesting, but outside of what the Bible says. Stay away. Stay away from the person that says, it's just me and my interpretation of the Bible. I don't look to anybody else. I, I don't get this from God. I've got it. Those were the people like the Docetists and the Gnostics in the first and second century who taught We've got the inside scoop. You need to come to us for the rest of the gospel. Listen, the gospel is simple enough that a child can understand it. 
It's beautiful. And yet it's a, a, a body of water so deep that Jacques Cousteau can't find the bottom even in a submarine, right? But it's simple enough to understand that a child can understand the beauty of the gospel. Let's keep rolling and then we'll take our two minute break in a few minutes. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, getting a little tired, I can tell. Um, verse four, notice the, notice the faith and the love in Christ Jesus, two terms that appear all through the Bible. Faith is something we're given, so is love. And we're supposed to shine both of them out in our conduct, faith, and in our love are what we do for others and for God. Verse, verse 14, guard the good deposit. Remember, Paul just said, I'm, I trust that he can guard what I've given him. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. That's the gospel and his salvation. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Christianity is the only religion, listen, where not only is the founder, Christ, alive, Buddhism, Buddha's dead. Islam, Muhammad's dead, right? Even Judaism, Moses is dead. Abraham's dead, right? Um, all the world religions, Aristotle, all the philosophers, Plato, Socrates, dead, dead, dead. Sorry, I don't mean to be insensitive, but there's only one empty tomb where there's a religious founder in heaven still alive. Not only has he conquered death, but he is, um, Christianity is the only religion where the founder comes to live inside of those who believe, the Holy Spirit. That's the whole enabling that makes Christianity work. And it's why Islam and every other religion doesn't work. Because you're on your own. Better live up. Better earn your salvation. Christianity, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, comes to live inside of you. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three who's, one what, God revealed in three personages, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are eternally distinct. They're separate. They, com they um, communicate with one another. Jesus prays to the Father. Jesus says, I'll ascend to my Father, and I'll send the Holy Spirit. So they're distinct, but they're all God. They don't disagree. It's not two against one. Father and the Son agree, and the Holy Spirit's kind of, oh, I don't know, I'm going to vote no on this. They are in absolute agreement. They're of the same nature. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Um, let's see. Let's take our two-minute break and stretch our aging bodies. Don't go far, and we'll see you in two minutes. I'm just going to turn my screen off. I'll be right back. There we go. We're back. Find your seats, those of you that are here. We're back in... Second Timothy chapter one, almost to the end of the chapter. Find your seats, if you will. And those of you on Zoom, I see you're back. Great. Um, so what he heard from Paul, Paul saying, make sure you have sound teaching. Don't go off on your own um, teaching new stuff. Walter Martin used to say, uh, in hearing the gospel, generally speaking, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. The gospel doesn't evolve as society changes. It's always the same gospel um, that's preached. Verse 14. No, we already did that one. The Holy Spirit. Verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia 
And that's not Asia like China, Japan. That's more modern day Turkey, believe it or not. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including, and he's going to name two names that Timothy knows. Yikes. Imagine having your name in the Bible because of your little claim to fame is you deserted the greatest of the apostles. Everyone in the province of Asia, and that's probably, by the way, a hyperbole or an exaggeration, but it certainly means the majority of people that used to hang with Paul now heard he's going to be executed and he's in a dungeon and they're kind of laying back and being quiet about the gospel and leaving Paul alone. We're going to read about somebody that didn't desert him in a minute, but these two, Phygelus and Hermogenes, who invented homogenized milk, by the way. You know you were thinking it. Come on. I made that up in case you're wondering. Um, Yeah, these two deserted me and deserted Paul, and he calls him out by name. Ouch. This is what's called, you ever heard this term? A fair weather friend. Everything's going well. He's your best buddy. You're in trouble and you need help, and then he doesn't take your call anymore. He doesn't answer the phone. He doesn't answer the door when you go to his house. Those kind of people. There's such a thing as a fair weather, listen, Christian. I'm a Christian. Everything's going well. Oh, no. Now there's a tragedy in my life. I'm mad at God. Or I am disillusioned with God. Or something didn't go the way I wanted it to. I really wanted to marry that person. And he or she, excuse me, married somebody else. And so I've been mad at God ever since. God forbid anything like that happens to you. Or even worse, God took my child at a young age or our baby. And I've never forgiven God for that. Listen, we don't know the will of God, the purpose of God. You can never, ever blame God. The reason there's death, what did we say earlier, is sin. Not God didn't make a faulty world. He made human beings with free will in the Garden of Eden, and they chose poorly. Before you blame Adam and Eve for that, by the way, every time you sin, you're ratifying their decision to go the other way. Okay, now that I made you all feel guilty, let's keep rolling. I like to do that from time to time. It keeps you awake. Everyone deserted me, but not everyone Verse 16, may the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Anybody know anybody named Onesiphorus? It looks like one Cypherus kind of, but it's Onesiphorus. May the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Wow. Why? Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Meaning what? Some people were. Oh, he's in prison I'm avoiding Paul now. I don't want guilt by association. Part of the reason when Jesus gets arrested, do you remember that the other 11 disciples split is, oh no, they're coming for us too, right? Every man for himself. I'm looking out for my, to protect my own hide. So they leave. That's the way some people are. Again, not this guy, Onesiphorus, On the contrary, verse 17, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me, diligently searching for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. That's judgment day again. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Now, this is a guy that 
he's naming these names because Timothy knows these three guys, the two that split, fair-weather Christians. Now it's getting dangerous to be a Christian. Um, imagine in the U.S. or wherever you live, if the government got so anti-Christian, listen, and you may think, well, that could never happen. You never know. What if the government got so Christian, so anti-Christ, anti-Christian, that they said, if you're caught with a Bible, you'll be arrested? Would you burn your Bible? Would you turn it in? We are supposed to be law-abiding citizens. Romans 13, other places say it as well. The exception is uh, I think it's Acts 5, I always forget, 4 or 5, where Peter says we must obey God rather than men. We're supposed to obey the laws, except if a country says you got to worship so-and-so, not Jesus. You and I have to say, sorry, we're not doing it. It's illegal to go to church. It's illegal to pray in public. By the way, there's. do you know about the coach, the football coach that prayed at the at the 50-yard line with his team and got fired for praying? Did you ever hear this story? Happened this year, I believe, right? Anybody know? Or last year? It's very recent. What if eventually there's a government that says you are to worship the governor, the king, the president, the whoever it is? No jokes. Could that really happen, Joe? Listen, at the time this is being written, not only Nero, who was Caesar, but the other Caesars before him, it was the same with all of them. You, as a citizen of the Roman Empire or a country that had been taken over by the Roman Empire, you were required to burn a pinch of incense, listen, and say, Caesar is Lord worship. Now, I'm sure there were people that went, I'm going to say it, but I don't really mean it. God understands. Sorry, don't say it. You say, well, this is all fiction, Joe. This could never happen in America, in the Western world. And okay, let's do it. Go to Revelation 13. In case you think Joe's out of his mind, there's a guy coming called the beast, the Antichrist and his false prophet, a one-world leader who will govern the whole world. By the way, men, there's been all kinds of men that have wanted to rule the whole world. Guess how many men have ruled the whole world in all of human history? None. None. This guy's going to finally do it. That's what chapter 13 is about. No, we're not going to read the whole chapter. Um, he's a beast, verse 2. He resembles a leopard, this is Revelation 13, but had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. Okay, you say, boy, that's getting pretty weird. Read the book of Daniel where all that is explained. He has the characteristics of the Persian Empire and the Roman Empire, and, but it's a conglomeration. It is a one world government with one man ruling the whole world. He's called the anti-Christ, which means against Christ or listen, instead of Christ. Well, you know, if he's going to pretend to be Christ, is he going to like act like Christ? 
Verse three, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. Pause. What's a fatal wound? Just like you get a cut here and you put a bandage on it, it'll, it'll heal. A fatal wound is a fatal a wound that what? Kills you. This guy dies. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. In other words, it's a fake resurrection. And the world says, just like Jesus, he's here. I believe he'll be the kind of guy that says, I'm the fulfillment of Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, all of them, Confucius. Okay. Men worship, verse 4, the dragon because he'd given authority to the beast. The, the dragon is defined in chapter 20 as the devil. No uncertain terms. They also worshiped the what beast. That's the Antichrist. That's a man, folks. You say, most people would never worship a human being, Joe. Sorry. Okay, we won't go there, but 2 Thessalonians says this guy, the man of sin, can at will call fire down from heaven. Miracles. Jesus calls it in Matthew 24, lying signs and wonders. You show me a guy that can do miracles like that, and most of the world will go, what more proof do we need? This is, God. This is our God right? He's also going to be an extremely eloquent and brilliant, powerful speaker, okay? He's also going to be a military genius. I could show you all this in Daniel and other places. He's also going to be the guy that solves all kinds of problems. He's just going to be the greatest guy in the world, except it's Satan indwelling a human being, ruling the world. You having the Holy Spirit, if you're alive at the time this guy shows up, you and I are going to know right away. It's pure evil. You can just tell. Your friends that aren't believers are going to think you're nuts when you say that. And they will worship. I just showed you. They worship the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? He's inf infallible. Nobody can stop him. Wrong. When Jesus returns, he just captures him and puts him in the, in the slammer for a thousand years. Anyway, he's, he speaks proud words, verse five, blasphemies. That's calling himself God. He's got authority for 42 months. Those of you that are math majors, that's three and a half years, half of a seven-year tribulation, I believe. He blasphemed God, verse six slanders God's name, slanders his dwelling place, heaven, and those who live in heaven, that's deceased believers, okay? Verse seven, he was given power to make war against the saints. You know who the saints are in the Bible? Believers, again and again and again. Make war against the saints and to conquer them. What does that mean? It means that there will be some of us believers, if we're alive at the time the guy is doing this, that are going to go to jail or to the gallows, be killed because we are Christians. We are not guaranteed that we'll be protected 100%. Many will be, some may not be. He's going to make war against the saints and conquer them. Well, how big is this power though, Joe, give me an idea. Middle of verse seven, and he was given authority over, listen, every tribe, every people, every language, every nation. Is that clear enough? Worldwide. 
China, Africa, England, Europe, South America, North America, everywhere, even coarse gold or Oakhurst. Um, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship this man, the beast. All? Asterisk. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. That's you. Your name's in there. You'll see right through them. The Holy Spirit will go, no, 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 no. Everybody else will go, yes. He who has an ear, let him hear, verse 9. I didn't mean to do this whole chapter, sorry. But really, will some people be captured and some killed that are believers? Verse 10. If anyone is destined to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for the patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the who? Saints. I'm not misunderstanding this. Then there's another beast. We won't read all that. False prophet. Um, this guy's going to have an ingenious um, monetary system. Ingenious. Uh, let's see. Verse 16. Same chapter 13. He also forced everyone. Now, what do you mean by everyone, John? small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, everyone on earth to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which the name of the beast or the number of the name calls for wisdom. It's man's number 666. What does that mean exactly? I don't know. We'll know when the time comes. There's been all kinds of theories about this and they've been wrong, 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 and wrong. I don't think this has happened yet. In human history, has anybody ever ruled the whole world and controlled all selling and buying and commerce and everything with a mark on the hand or the forehead? I don't think so. Could it happen now with computers and absolute piece of cake now, right? Okay, now that I've depressed you all, go back to the book of Second Timothy with me. Now you see why. Um, this guy is unashamed to go see Paul and not worship the, the Caesar and why he is at, Paul asks that he'll be, he be shown great mercy. By the way, this is a guy that he helped him in Ephesus. His household, Onesiphorus, is still in Ephesus where Timothy lives. He's saying to Timothy, be like that family, not like these people that deserted me. That's the point of that whole passage. Okay, sorry to get off on the tangent of Revelation. I tend to do that sometimes. Um, okay, so I want to make an analogy now to your life. Okay, here it comes. Do you know an outsider? As somebody with maybe very few or no friends, certainly no Christian friends, no support group, a sort of an orphan. Maybe they have family, but they're in somewhere far, far away. Or do you know somebody in church that you always notice, or Bible study, so-and-so always sits right over there by herself, or over here by himself? Listen, the, it is your job at your church to go find, have an eyes for that person. You know who you have eyes for? Oh, I know the Harkin writers. I'm going to go say hi to Jeff and Doreen. Nothing wrong with that. I know Joanne, I'm going to go say hi to Joanne or Dan and Deb back there or whoever. 
listen, have eyes for the person that he's always alone. Hey, would you like to sit with us? Please come and sit with us. She's always by herself or the two of them. Maybe it's a husband and wife or two sisters and the... seek those people out. Make them feel refreshed. That's what Paul says about Onesiphorus. He often refreshed me. What do you mean with a Slurpee or a cold drink? Maybe they had 7-Elevens. I don't mean with a Slurpee. I mean, it could have been with food and drink, but it could have been just encouragement right? Coming alongside somebody, comforting them. He wasn't ashamed of my chains. He often refreshed me. Oh, the guy that sits over here by himself or the gal that sits over here. By the way, their clothes are kind of lousy. So what? Are you ashamed to be seen with? We ought to have those kind of eyes that see those people and seek them out. That's why you hear me say, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. It's another way of saying, find the person that like, nobody seems to talk to Harold over here. Um, having been that person, by the way, at church by myself sometimes before I met my wife, it was really nice that people come and go, do you want to go out to lunch? Okay. Right. Instead of feeling like you ever been to a church and you walk out and you go, I think I was invisible in there. That's a ba bad church. Get out of there. Find a church where you're not invisible. Um, may he find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know how very, very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Awesome. Okay, we're going to dive to chapter two. I'm just looking at my notes. That's that fringe person. I wanted to talk to you about that. By the way, who's our example? Jesus. Who does he seek out? The most hated people, tax collectors, sinners prostitutes. Listen to this one. Lepers. Do you understand what a leper was in that culture? Nobody could come anywhere near them. They were required to say when they were coming into contact with, here comes a group of people over there. I'm a leper. Unclean. Un Can you imagine having to yell that out? So people would turn around and everybody, right? Would like parting the Red Sea. Everybody gets out of your way. Jesus goes, that's who I want to go hang out with. Unbelievable love. The demon possessed, tax collectors, sinners. He doesn't approve of their sin, but he seeks them out in love. Okay, made you feel guilty again. Chapter two, let's keep rolling. You then, or how many have the word therefore in chapter two, verse one? That's better than you then. That's NIV. Therefore, J. Vernon McGee used to say, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, make sure you figure out what the therefore is there for. You ever hear him say that? Yes. What's the therefore therefore? In light of how great a gospel we have, everything in chapter one, in light of the fact that some are ashamed of me and my chains, in light of the fact that some are being quiet about the gospel because they're worried about getting arrested or being persecuted or being ridiculed or in light of the fact that we're saved because God chose to do so in his love and his grace, and we didn't deserve it, and death is conquered for us, in light of all that stuff of chapter one, therefore, Timothy, my son, technon in Greek, it's an, a term of great um, um, compassion and love. It's not his literal son, it's his son in the faith. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ 
Jesus. Be strong in that. Learn what it means and live your life according to that grace. That's the general instruction. By the way, these are all commands for Timothy and for Joe and for you. So first of all, um, be strong in the grace. What's the opposite of that? Be strong in earning favor from God. Because if I do these good things, God's going to owe me and you have to bless me now and answer my prayers. Remember what I did yesterday? Wrong, wrong way to pray. We owe him everything and we deserve nothing. In fact, what we do deserve, you ever hear people say, I want what I deserve from God. No, you don't right? No, you don't. That's going through the whole list of every single thing you said or did or thought even that was a sin. You don't want what you deserve from God. Believe me, you want grace. Be strong in that grace. Understand that it's undeserved. Keep in mind, Paul is on death row and he's encouraging Timothy. How do you be, how are you strong in the grace? Isaiah 40, don't turn there. I'm just going to read it quickly. 29 to 30. Isaiah 40, 29 to 30. Talking about God. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That's faith. Ephesians 6, sorry. Be strong in his power. Not your own power, not sitting back passively, but be strong in his power. Seek him, rely on him, pray to him. It's all grace. Like I said earlier, uh, Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, We already talked about that. It's the opposite of being strong in yourself, being confident in your talents, in your memory, in your mental acumen, in your college degrees, in your money, be strong in the grace, knowing that I'm his child, I have the love and favor of God, and I don't deserve it, and he loves me anyway. So verse two, Um, let's see, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Remember, Timothy's a pastor. Don't tune me out now because you're thinking, well, I'm not a pastor. Skip down to verse three, Joe. No, listen. He's saying the things you've learned from the Bible, from your pastor, from studying the word, the things you've learned, pass those on. Doesn't that apply to you, even though you're not a pastor? It does. To who? Your friends, your kids, your husband, your wife, your parents, pass it on. For Timothy, as a pastor, it means what you've heard me say, the sound doctrine, entrust it to reliable people who are going to teach it. You're choosing other elders in your church to be teachers, leaders. Um, It's important that you're passing on the same gospel. Has the gospel occasionally in human history gotten off track? Answer, yes. And has God brought it back on track? Yes. I'll give you some examples. The Catholic Church ended up really starting out well, and eventually, by the time of Martin Luther and the Reformation, was teaching you could earn your salvation. 
that God would owe you. Okay, and teaching some traditions that aren't in the Bible. Pray to Mary. Worship Mary. Not in the Bible. It was a tradition. It wasn't true. Salvation, you can earn your salvation. Not biblical. That's why Martin Luther, maybe the bravest dude that ever lived, stands up to all of those people and says, no, I'm reading the word here, the Bible. Remember the Bible, folks? Salvation is by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, not of works, so lest any man boast. He stands up to them. Has it gotten off track in our lifetimes? Yes. The health and wealth gospel. God wants you rich. You can talk to your wallet or your purse, ladies, and say, you're so full of money, you're my bank account. You can speak health into your body. You have creative power, just like God. Wrong, not biblical. Guess who the Bible says speaks things that are not into existence? God. Guess who else does that? Nobody. Not you. We have gotten off track, and God has brought us back. The time will come, listen, right before the coming of the Antichrist. I'm tempted to go there, but I won't. Second Thessalonians says there's a huge falling away. Expect it. It may already be happening. What does that mean? An apostasia, apostasy, where vast numbers of churches fall away from the faith. What does that mean exactly? I don't know exactly, pre precisely, but what I know it means is they're not going to teach sound doctrine right out of the Bible. They're going to fall away in one way or another. So there'll be prime targets for an antichrist who comes, the man of sin. That, that happens right before the end, a huge falling away. Don't be surprised if church attendance starts going down. Do you know when it did? The two years of COVID, right? You know that. Partly because everybody was so afraid and the government said, no, you shouldn't be meeting together. Some churches met together, some didn't, right? And now it's, okay, COVID's pretty much over, no masks. And we were in a thing in, last night in Fresno for our granddaughter, um, a, a huge choir recital. It was amazing how good they could sing. And I was looking around, maybe there was a thousand people in the auditorium and maybe 150 on stage. And there was about five or six people on stage masks, about 5% in the audience, masks. Still, some people stopped going to church. I know of people that stopped going to church, and now COVID is kind of like dwindling. This is the guy that had it two and a half weeks ago, I know. And some those people, some of them, have you noticed, didn't come back to church, still haven't, or Bible study. On Zoom, you can't get it because I'm wearing an invisible mask. So don't worry, you're not going to get anything from me. All right. My point is there's going to be a falling away. Watch for it. Um, and don't be one of the ones that falls away. Stay plugged in. Okay. Where were we? Verse two, what you heard me say, entrust that to reliable people. Carefully check out the people you're going to have teach the church because that's how it's been passed down through the generations. Reliable people have been taught, and then they've taught others who are reliable, and they take over and teach, 
as those other ones pass on or get older or whatever. Keep that process going. You and I can do it with our kids, our families, whatever. Join with me, verse three, in suffering. Oh, let's just skip that. Shouldn't we just skip that? Just kidding. Join with me in suffering. How about that for a slogan for a campaign? Join with me in prosperity, health, wealth, suffering. Join with me. It's a, listen, it's a part of Christianity. Don't miss that. Christianity, listen, is not a smorgasbord. You ever go to a restaurant where you can, you want the roast beef, the turkey, the ham, the chicken, or the whatever, peanut butter and jelly. I'll have the peanut butter and jelly. It's not a smorgasbord. Part of Christianity I'm about to show you is suffering. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus if anyone who desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Yeah, a cross. I wear a cross. Listen, do you know what a cross was? It's like saying, let me put in some terms from our culture. Let him deny himself and take up his firing squad, his guillotine, his gas chamber. Are you getting the message now? It's an instrument of death. Take up his cross. There's some suffering. Amen. A believer who's in it only for the good stuff, Christianity. As soon as suffering comes, I'm out. That may be what causes the apostasy. I don't know. Um, um, so there's going to be a, a few analogies here. The first one is um, being a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You see, we're at war right? We're behind enemy lines. We live in an unsaved world that whether they admit it or not, they hate Jesus and they hate you for being a Christian. They want you to conform to the world. Don't do it. Luke 9, 62, Jesus talking. You start following Jesus. You put your hand to the plow, okay? I'm starting to work as a farmer for Christ. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What is that? Looking back to the, you know, my old life was a lot more fun than this. Boy, that's an insult to God, isn't it? Okay, so Paul is probably chained to a soldier while he's writing this. So he talks about a war. Now, this is not the kind of war that Islam talks about right? You know what jihad is? That in the interest of Islam, it is okay to kill the infidels. Who are infidels? Unbelievers. What do you mean unbelievers? People that aren't Muslim. It's okay. Holy war. That's not what he's talking about here. Our war is not with weapons that kill. It is with weapons. Listen, the word of God is the only offensive weapon in Ephesians 6. The weapon is the word of God that we just give it out and it reaches some hearts. Not all, maybe not most, but it reaches some when they hear it. Very, very important. So we're to be soldiers, verse 3. And a soldier, can you imagine a soldier that says, I'm signing up, I'm going to be in the army, going overseas to fight in the war, whatever war. But I don't want any suffering. I just want you to know that, Captain. 
soon as there's suffering, I'm out. What? Imagine a soldier that quits early. The battle's half done. Let's keep going. Now I'm out. I, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Sometimes the Christian life can be hard, right? God gives us the grace to keep going if we submit to the Holy Spirit. If it's all about me, I don't want suffering, right? Neither do you. But join me, Paul says, in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Our commanding officer is leading the charge, and he suffered for you and I. Verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs or the affairs of life, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Who's the commanding officer again? Christ, the one we love, who loved us. We want to please him. Not getting affair, uh, entangled in the civilian affairs. Okay. A soldier makes a, it is not a job that's eight to five Monday through Friday. You know that about being a soldier? It's not, you don't get two days off. Saturday, Sunday. How many have been in the armed services? Anybody here? Okay, a few, right? There's no, if there's a war going on, it's, this is my life. You don't join the service in a war and then say, you know, I'm going to think I'm going to take up painting and learn to play the violin. I'd also like to study, you know, science at the college over here while the war is going on. It's, it's a single-minded focus on the goal, isn't it? Winning the war for Christ. So we don't get entangled in other... It doesn't mean that the, you can't have hobbies. I don't mean that. I mean that your focus is pleasing your commanding officer. Thy will be done. That's one way to put the pleasing of the commanding officer. So we're going to change analogies here, and we're just about out of time. But So we, we are to be good soldiers, if you will. Now we're going to change verse five, the analogy to athletics. By the way, Paul is a sports fan. Uh, in the books that he writes, he uses analogies regarding track and field, 1 Corinthians 9, boxing, 1 Corinthians 9, wrestling, Ephesians 6, 12. And here, just being an athlete, the Olympic game competitors, and the Greeks were big in the Olympic games. They had to swear an oath on a statue of Zeus after 10 months of training that they were dedicated to winning their particular event, whatever their weightlifting or track and field or whatever it might be. Um, okay. Or the NBA finals for that matter. Okay. Um, verse five. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Imagine a baseball game, a football game, a soccer game, a basketball game, a weightlifting competition, a race, where the, one of the people competing says, I'm not, I'm not really playing by all the rules. I've got certain rules that I've chosen. But when the gun goes off, I'm already going to be running ahead of the others. That's breaking the rules. He's saying you can't pick and pick, pick and choose the rules. We are to play by all the rules of the sport we're in. What sport are we in? Winning souls for Christ, obeying Christ, being Christians, right? So where do you get the rule book for this Jesus Christianity thing? It's the Bible. 
all of it. Even the part about join me in suffering. Yes, even that part. We don't suffer as Christians in America. Could we someday? Absolutely. I could see it happening. Um, so there's an analogy, verse five. We're going to quit there. The next analogy is the hardworking farmer. Next week, that's verse six um, and beyond. Um, but let's quit for now and close in prayer. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you all of you for being on Zoom. Let's close in prayer and then we'll pick it up next week, God willing. Thank you, Father, for this time we could be in your word. And uh, it's pretty challenging here. Help us never to be ashamed of you or the gospel, even if there becomes uh, a time, becomes a time when there's amazing political pressure, peer pressure, police, governmental pressure to let go of Jesus, Bible, God, Christianity, obedience. It's the best thing in our lives. We owe you everything. How could we ever be ashamed, God? Help us to be good soldiers and good athletes that play by the rules and wait till the race is over before stopping. That wait till the, wait till the war and the battle is finished before stopping. Help us to be imitators of you, God. Thank you for the gifts you've given us, God. May we use them, each of us, for your glory. And we pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hope to see you here next week on Zoom. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to two people that you don't know. Have a great night. God bless.